Yeah, there we go. All right, it's time to start looking at the journey to Easter. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to meet different characters that are connected to the story of Easter, some real and perhaps some fictitiously guessing-gamed characters. So um, you'll, you'll like it. Felix, uh, you're, you're, there's a, on Palm Sunday, the sermon title is Felix's Big Day. That, that's all I'll tell you. And I doubt you're possibly going to guess what it's about. <clears throat> so we'll see. I, I loved it. <laughs> anyway, it's just a small part of it, but still really, it's, it's pretty fun. But in the journey to Easter, um, I want to dig more into the people instead of just the theology. Because the last number of years, we've been unpacking some um, traditional understandings of how we saw Easter and some more hope-filled perspectives, or even more ancient perspectives than what we call traditional. Where do we get some of this information from? Well, it comes from a long line of churchianity, church, however we do it. Um, It also comes from our hymn books. Can you believe the hymns, some of the hymns we sing are, well, incomplete, if I'm being polite, and flat-out wrong, and not all of them, but There are some. And yet music for the people coming to church was a way to teach theology. That's how they learned their beliefs. Well, the Bible plainly says, and no, that's a hymn actually. (laughs) Well, it's just really funny where you get your beliefs from. Hope Fellowship has been a unique church, and we're not done being unique. I think at the top of our banner, you know, we're a relaxed church growing in grace. We haven't figured it out. We haven't arrived. There's still more to unlearn and even much more to learn and discover. Because if what we're learning or even doing doesn't look like Jesus and love, we're not doing it right. If it's about control, if it's about forcing people into this cookie cutter, that's not Jesus. It's not the authentic bride of Christ, the church. I think for us churches gathering, connecting, and high-fiving as we learn more great stuff. It's also a church where if we're going through something pretty crappy, we can pull out that Kleenex box and, and weep and not feel shamed. None of us have it figured out. I've had enough conversations with pretty much everyone connected to this church to know that there are stories lurking in the background that if all of the other people knew about it, they'd go, oh, I'm actually more normal. We don't have to come here all cleaned up, as in exactly correct and present ourselves as acceptable. I think we come here with a sense of humility. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Lately, I've been having some discussions in fact, this Wednesday morning, I'll be airing a two, first of two parts uh, on revisiting what deconstruction is or the pitfalls of deconstruction. And the reason I'm using that word deconstruction is because there are factions of believers, or they may not even call themselves that anymore, uh, but individuals and teachers that are talking about undoing more and more, dismantling more and more, finding all the flaws uh, in the Bible and 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 using that as a, there you go, blast it out, no good anymore, and throw it away. All the way down to Jesus. 
And I got a problem with that. Don't take away my Jesus. Just because you don't see it or understand it in a way that makes him bigger and better, don't push that on everyone else. And don't take the pain of the past and the hurts you've received in other churches or from other believers, don't let that be the reason to reject the real Jesus. I, I think it's a growing trend. And I, I'm, if you listen on Wednesday morning when I share it live, uh, 8 o'clock, um, you're going to hear a conversation about some of the pitfalls. And part two is even better. <laughs> it's just kept growing. It's a conversation. It's not a teaching. And I think it's worth listening to if you have some struggles. Are you afraid of deconstructing to the place of where you totally ditch the Bible, the church, Jesus, everything? Some people are afraid of that. They don't want that. Well, good. That's Jesus in you saying, that's not me anyway. So you don't need to fear. Jesus is in charge of your journey. That'll be made clear today too. Because we're going to talk about a guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, at first glance, I thought, oh, okay, that's Simon Peter. <laughs> it's not. Not at all. You'll, we'll catch into that. So let's, let's begin getting our minds into this with this. From Colossians 3, 1 to 4 from the NRSVA version. This is the newest updated one. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. Now, please, please, please do not take this as a, uh, don't look at it through a dualistic lens where God is up there, we're down here. Because most of church, the church history has spewed that, especially Calvinism. This is not talking about that. This is because the author is talking about Christ in you. Oh, wait, at the very start of the book, chapter one, here's the secret, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there isn't a distance. So then what does this mean? It says since, not if. Really, the word if is not, it should read since. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is how they had their mindsets. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. Because there is a carnal mindset. There are self-gratifying things we can search for and try and go for. And, and we'll, we can twist it to say, hey, this is, you know, this is, call it whatever you want. But the next verse kind of lays it out. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that. Your, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your or our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I love this. The real you, the union you, is going to be revealed. When Christ is revealed, what's really going to be revealed is Jesus living out of you. The more Jesus lives out of you, the more he's revealed. <laughs> it's simple. And it doesn't look like being busy. <laughs> it looks like love. It looks like serving. It really does. Jesus talked about that enough. There's a lesser known disciple and likely a former fisherman and not Simon Peter. You could mix up Simon the Zealot with Simon Peter because they both had the same tendencies. I think they came from the same stock because the fishermen were most likely they were rough and raw and you know they they were more gruff and uh um uh, this particular Simon the Zealot was a true zealot, 
Well, what is a zealot? Let's get into this. Before Simon the Zealot was called by Jesus to follow him as one of his 12 disciples, Simon was probably more prone to slit the throat of a Gentile sinner in the name of God rather than set the table and invite them to share a meal with him. This is a big contrast. All right? By the time he is influenced, how many years? How many years were they kind of connected? Roughly, let's say three. Two and a half. All right? But he also died a martyr. And apparently his logo of one of the 12, if I can remember this correctly, there's a, an ancient church history logo of a fish on a table serving. Simon was probably more prone to take out somebody because that's how he wielded. Look at, look at Peter, Simon Peter. He did the same kind of thing in the garden before Jesus was taken away. He was ready to fight. They were waiting for a revolution. They are waiting for the takeover of Rome. That is a constant fact. Every church history, a theologian or pastor sees that and knows that. It's, it's an undisputed topic. The disciples were waiting for a kingdom to come. They thought it was going to be a kingdom that would take over the authorities that are hindering them and putting pressure on them. That's what they thought. But Jesus messed them up <laughs> with love. <laughs> well, the Bible is quiet concerning this Simon. Details of Simon the Zealot, we do know that he became a follower of Jesus whose life had been changed by the Messiah. His life was changed by the encounter, by being present. Somebody asked me this week, well, how do I then pray uh, if, if, this, if it isn't about duty serving the church? How then do I serve? How, how do I do all this stuff? And there was a list. I think the answer is proximity. Start hanging out with Jesus quietly, yourself. Jesus will show you what you need to unlearn. Nobody can do that for you. And most of us already have a hunch of what that list is. We just don't want to visit it because we're comfortable there. We don't want to do the work of studying. We don't want to do the work of change. We all hate change, don't we? <laughs> the older you get, the more you don't want to change. Because if things don't change, they stay the same. <laughs> Jesus was a person who had an impact. We know this because a person cannot be a true disciple of Jesus and remain the same person he or she was before meeting and following Christ. I have noticed so many changes in myself and in everyone here at Hope Fellowship over the years. As life and love infects and affects your life, it affects your connections with people. Sometimes we forget, have little blips and come back and on and on and then we grow more, whatever. There's no, there are no rules to this. But we've changed and we've grown. There's more to it than just following rules. We can deduce that Simon had a reputation and a nickname that proclaimed passion and devotion to the one true God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he was very much like the Pharisees, very committed to the law. Wow. I remember the church I grew up in, it was super committed to law rules, made up rules mostly. And to have to unlearn them. I remember teaching a grace conference. I pulled out this flyer of a, a church down in the south of the U.S. And it had, if you want to please God, here's what you must do. <laughs> it was the most disgusting list. It talked about hair length. It talked about women's clothing. 
men's clothing. It talked about where you can go, what you can't do. It was unbelievable. Because if you had the list, you didn't need Jesus. And if you had the list, you don't need Jesus because you got the church giving you the list. And who do you worship and depend on? The church. I hope everything you hear through Hope Fellowship points you to Jesus to look. We're not telling you what to do. But I do love unpacking the scriptures and making come more alive. There are more hope-filled perspectives. In fact, the conversation I had this week with those guys, we're going to have another conversation, an ongoing one on Sermon on the Mount, on how to unpack that, because there's some pretty tough stuff in there. How do you understand it? I'm going to be a good listener for that discussion, I'll tell you that. So, this fact of him being one who has a reputation. In Luke 6.15, it states, Simon, who was called the zealot, so they literally singled that out. Matthew 10, 4 and Mark 3 identified this feisty disciple as Simon the Cananean. Well, that's a weird name. It's not a reference to Canaan, which many people thought. Oh, that just explains his heritage, his Jewish. No, it doesn't. It actually means to be zealous. Hmm. Have you met zealous people before? Have you met? Uh, listen, if I got in trouble in school, it was for being too enthusiastic. Or talking too much, actually, but anyway. Um, but that, this is the zealousness that he was known for. And then we have Thomas the doubter, probably a more contemplative, quieter guy. Uh, and you can go through the list, but the zealous part is critically important because there are people of great passion. And people with, of great passion are often misunderstood for two reasons. One, they don't know how to communicate their passion effectively. They jumble the words, oops, they can't get it out right, and whatever they get out incorrectly is mistaken, and now they're even more frustrated. So they can't communicate out, and they're also misunderstood. But they're also on a long journey. They're also the ones that have much to learn. So maybe when we see people zealous for things in our society, zealous and passion for skills, hobbies, and such. Like I know Drew is zealous for fishing, like good grief, and the Blue Jays. So I'm into that. But there are others who are zealous for their own passions for the community, the environment, and so on. And it's so easy to jump on and judge. I've done it. I've had to repent in my own head of being judgmental. And I'm going to do it again. I know it. But I also trust the Holy Spirit to say, ah, 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 ah. you just overran the base. Come back. See them as a human, not as a topic. That's been really hard. And to me, that's Jesus speaking because that speaks of love. I have not mastered it. Being called a zealot meant you were living a life of piety and zealous for God and the law. Because back in those days, there were several sects, S-E-C-T-S, of uh, religious leaders. There was the, the Sanhedrin, which was a collection of leaders. And then there was the Pharisees. There was the Essenes. There were the Zealots. And there's probably one or two more. But that was the grouping of religious leaders. Oh, wait, that sounds like denominations to me. Ha, imagine that. See, nothing's changed. And they all disagreed on stuff. <laughs> like, we're not that special today. 
Zealots were known for a red-hot patriot group of resistors who were politically motivated and willing to take action to purge their land of oppressive people who violated what they understood God to stand for and required of his people. Wow. To be zealous. They were often categorized as Jewish revolutionaries. They were also reckless. That was another word used for them. Who engaged in violence and war against Romans, who, uh, those who collaborated with them. They were the ones who stirred, up the, stirred the pot. <laughs> Do you know any pot stirrers? Or dung disturbers? <laughs> Zealots were willing to take extreme measures to rid and resist the foreign influence that oppressed the true Israelite people. See, this is founded in faith. They're using God. Do you, have you seen any stories like that in our history and recent history? <laughs> We're not pointing. I'm pointing out this is not new. This was happening back 2,000 years ago and has not stopped. There's a great chance that Simon would have been tempted to put a knife in the ribs of Matthew. Why? Matthew was a tax collector turned disciple. He was the ultimate traitor. He worked for the Romans and then stole. Like, who did Jesus pull together here? Seriously, Jesus, did you even check the resumes? Did you even, you know, put them through this filter to see who would be good and qualified? And nope. Do you know how Jesus picked them? The exact same way you and I are to live. What do I mean? I believe Jesus lived out of his humanity. He did not live as God, as in living from his deity, knowing all things, hearing the bees and what they're saying and, and the snakes and what they're doing and helping that tree grow over there. He was not living out of his deity. He was living as a full human, being fully God. He was living out of his humanity, needing to depend on Jesus, or sorry, his father. He abided in the father. That's why he spent so much time praying, which is sometimes really hard to do. But he knew he had to. It was his lunch. It was his meal. Like when he spoke at the woman at the well. He says, you know, not, you know not of the food I eat. He was eating spiritual food. And I believe it was God the Father telling him, pick this one, pick this one, pick this one. When he, hey, that guy over there? Yeah, that one. Ask him to follow you. I've got him ready. Because i got this cool plan. And the puzzle I'm putting together is going to look really good. So don't write off yourself and don't you dare write off other people at all. Everyone is included. I remember walking through um, uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, uh, right by the market, a massive, massive market. The top floors were illegal stuff and videos and movies and all that stuff is really hilarious. Uh, they get uh, uh, raided every once in a while. But outside, it's flooded streets and Rudy and I are standing across this um, bridge and we, were just, we had just begun learning of that all humanity is included in Christ. And he looked down and said, Mike, they're all included. And there was a guy smoking pot, another person, you know, drunk on the side. There were swarms of people walking every which way. Some rip-off artists trying to sell their wares and people everywhere. He said, they're all included. And it hit me. Dang, you're right. I wish I saw it before you because it would have been more fun for me to say it instead of you. But, <laughs> but there's something about seeing other people and how we see them. 
If you are in a pattern, a spin cycle of judgment, 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 judge, judge, they're like this, no one have anything to do with them for this or that, you have come to a place where you are your own little Messiah. You think you're in control and you're out of control. We're not called to be in control. We're called to yield to Christ in us. So Simon the Zealot, what would he have said? I'm going to share a short video with you of a dramatization of Simon the Zealot and telling his story. So please listen carefully. Make sure the volume's high for this. As a young man, I had experienced firsthand and quite often the indignities, the brutality of the Roman occupation, an affront to Israel. Eventually, I uh, joined in with the Zealots, spent my nights plotting against the Romans, spent my days taking down names, noting any Jew who, in my opinion, didn't show sufficient hatred for our enemies. I was determined to return Israel to its proper authority. It was black and white. So why, as an old man, with my hard and uh, certain ways, did I find myself sitting across the table from a man who, who taught the exact opposite of everything I've fought for my entire life? <laughs> I can't answer that with any reasonable explanation. At the meal that night, the Passover meal, I think someone later dubbed it uh, the Last Supper, Jesus gathered all of us around the table, his, his enthusiastic followers. He passed around bread, he poured wine, he spoke unsettling words. This is my blood of the covenant, he said, which is poured out for many. Those words, my blood poured out, they hung in the air. I, of course, was familiar with pouring out blood. I mean, what? great cause worth fighting for does not spill some blood. Jesus, I think, had a different idea about what it meant to pour out blood. Well, we all knew, well, I knew anyway, what Messiah was all about. Messiah was coming to bring the sword, to destroy our enemies, to spill their blood. Jesus told us to love them instead. And all the battles I had fought, which for my whole life had seemed so right, just sifted through my hands like dust. And that night, I began to lay it all down, bit by bit, finally, my causes, and to simply follow step by step, follow this man, this curious, curious warrior, Jesus. He had a very big change in his life. A couple of years ago, I had a brutal, painful episode. I spoke about it right away. But after a couple of years of 
processing all this stuff and pain. And at the time, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to properly have an, a self-introspection because I was too close to the pain. That's a lesson, by the way. As the year went on, and now two, three years later, I've learned something profound. I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, that part of a mindset had clung to me, almost like talons. It wasn't from the inside, it was from the outside, and I didn't even know it was there until it got ripped off me painfully. And not by any one person, but by a mindset I'd bought into and didn't even know it. It was a religious mindset that the very thing I was preaching against. And I thought I was becoming a person to go and speak more and maybe even do more ministry work. <laughs> it's a pastoral sickness. <laughs> thinking, you know, thinking bigger and bigger. As key things were stripped away from me, my zealousness was there. I still have, I'm still zealous. <laughs> I'm still enthusiastic. By the way, enthusiastic is two words, in theos, in God, so I will never be unenthusiastic. <laughs> but after watching that video, I realized what I thought was my goal for the future, and I had a number of changes in life. <clears throat> I had a time where um, I wanted to be a police officer before, you know, as I was starting high school. Well, my high school life sure did not lend itself to let me even have education good enough to even begin that uh, because of all the crap I went through and the abuse and stuff. But then I got into life insurance. Oh, I've hit them. I could do this. Yeah. And I thought, this is my life. I'm dedicating my life to this. And then I became a pastor, always looking for more. And then 20 years ago, after reading some grace books, I thought, this is it. I'm going to teach grace for the rest of my life. And I am. That hasn't changed. But I don't need the charts anymore. I don't need the PowerPoints. Because <laughs> I had to teach it a certain way, which was great. It was a tutor. But here's the thing. This is, this is the most embarrassing, humiliating part and lesson I learned in these last number of years. And I'll admit it to you because it's true. It, it doesn't reflect my true heart. It reflects what was put on to me. That when I met people, I looked over the shoulder at the next person. Who's behind them? Ooh, I can meet them too. And I started to look for opportunities to promote and ulterior motives is a good word. Didn't even know it. I didn't realize it was happening. And then the very thing I was so committed to was stripped away. And I didn't realize my dependence on that. I did not realize I had kind of a quiet other Messiah and didn't know it. Here's what I learned. All these goals, job, future, where to go, what to do, choices of who to be with, all that stuff. We've been sold in this Western world that that matters more than anything else, and it's not true. 
What matters is who's in front of you at any given moment. Stop looking over the shoulder for more opportunities or to use people. I've had to go back and repent to one person in particular. They were driving me so nuts, I, couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. I won't tell you who, obviously. <laughs> but they had a hard time forgiving me, and I don't know if they fully have, and that's okay. I know what I did. I moved them politically out of a role for my gain. I'll never do that again. I want to love people that are in front of me. And when you do that, the people in front of you can talk to you with a heart of love. I'm going to pick on Janet Barrington. <laughs> she just startled, and that's okay. In our Grounds and Grace group, we've, we've had a lot of good conversations, and sometimes I say the wrong thing up here, <laughs> a wrong word. <laughs> Not so much anymore, right? A little better. <laughs> but she lovingly had a way of sharing that with me, and I am so grateful that didn't know what it sounded like we need each other if somebody's giving you advice because something doesn't look right and they're sort of connected to you listen carefully there might be truth in it it's for your benefit it's really hard to be humble when you think you're right all the time. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is the word we're going to focus on briefly. The word repent is a powerful word that describes what must have happened to a disciplined and staunch zealot like Simon. If Simon the zealot can change his mind, so can you. And by the way, it took a crisis to change my mind it took a crisis to change his mind. And I think every one of us can say there has been a crisis in our life that caused a change, sometimes bad, sometimes good. But crisis is not the enemy. Our response to it can be. And if Simon can change his mind, so can you. It may take a long time. Remember, two and a half, three years? And then, even after, the, after Jesus rose from the dead, they still had squabbles and fights. Even Simon Peter. Oh my goodness, probably, the, I think he was the, the biggest blockhead of all the disciples. Who, who meant well. But man, he just didn't get it. Do you remember the rooftop incident where he's, on, he's at the Tanner's house? By the way, they're not, Jews are not supposed to be by dead animals. It's like unclean. And it was there God revealed him to him that he's not to call anyone unclean or unholy. How long after Jesus' resurrection was that? Quite a while. You're not done learning. Neither am I. Learn with me. Teach me. We'll teach one another. Everything Simon the Zealot had learned must now be unlearned. Ooh. Reconsidered. And of course, a course correction. And that's what I'm offering to you today a course correction in your thinking. Moving us towards the Messiah, towards this Jesus we say we believe in. And maybe we have a skewed picture of Jesus because we haven't had a clear picture. For Simon to follow Jesus, he would need to lay down his dagger, 
used to shed blood and take life. That's what he used it for. Instead, pick up a towel and serve others and wash their feet as Jesus demonstrated to them at the Last Supper. Who would you rather listen to? Somebody who demonstrates a humility in teaching and modeling or somebody who is a bombastic shock statement person who loves to create controversy? (sighs) The more I mature and see the effects of forced controversy, the less I want anything to do with it because it only creates fear and harm. Just does. Simon would have to rethink the way he thought about things and learn what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that is hard. (laughs) Some of us may say, well, that's probably true, but I am not there right now. Don't make me have to visit that theme. (laughs) Too late. Notice what Paul writes concerning people rethinking the way they must think about life and moving in a new direction as followers of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? I am. I don't always call myself a Christian because some places the word Christian is weird rules and very strange churchy language. So I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. In this part of the letter, Paul is discussing what being a follower of Jesus means regarding the ongoing change of a person's life and how they live and think about it. Um, I, I was going to, yeah, I'll stick with this. I don't have, I'm never going to finish. Um, I'll read this from the Passion Translation. If you have the um, First Nations version, please read it as well. It's even better. I was going to read it after this, but there's no time. Philippians 3, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion, zealousness, ha ha ha, into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. See, I always thought purposes were goals. And so you mark it on your calendar, this is my goal, or set a number on your bank account, that's my goal, or whatever, like that's what I thought the purposes were. No, I think the purposes are for becoming one who looks more like Jesus. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this, or the phrase is translated from the Aramaic, which is that one, but the Greek states, I myself have not taken possession of it yet. However, I do have one compelling focus. This is my prayer for everyone, that that focus becomes compelling. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. Ooh, wait a minute. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. You can't do it. You can't muster up faith. You can't muster up passion. You can try. Ever been on a diet? Yeah, how's that going? You have passion for six days or three days or one. 
<laughs> but here, let all who are fully mature have the same passion. That means the goal for us is to become fully mature. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize, following one path with one passion. And what is that one path and one passion? It has a name. It's Jesus. I'm, I just can't read all this right now, so sorry. <laughs> That's a lot of slides. C.S. Lewis once noted, the only thing that can dwell in the presence of God is humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Huh. There's no room for anybody to think they have arrived when it comes to following Jesus. There's always something ahead of us to run towards in this race to the finish. We must press on. As in, don't give up. And remember, the, the race, the energy, where that comes from, again, that's Jesus too. You can drink all the smoothies you want with all the stuff in it. It's not, it'll give you certain energy, but this is a different spiritual energy. Pressing on does not include, this is hard to hear, Pressing on does not include eliminating those who are running a different race or attainting the one we're running that may be a violation of how we view life as a follower of Jesus. Quit being the religious police pointing out, oh, this is so embarrassing. But years ago, you know, Facebook can be good and bad, right? When somebody put a quote up that sounded so legalistic, oh, I'm a grace teacher. Here's why you're wrong. That's so embarrassing. What was I trying to do? Two things. I started eating from the wrong tree. I was trying to be more right and point out that they're wrong. Wrong tree. Tree of life doesn't do that. I was also trying to project myself as someone I am not. One who knows more? Yeah, where's the humility in that? Sorry to be so transparent, but this is my journey. This is... And I hope I keep learning and growing. And by telling you this, I dare not ever go back to those. What Paul is saying in these verses is this. True maturity is knowing that you haven't arrived yet and that you must keep pressing on forwards to the goal that's before you. And this is what Simon had to do and learn as well. His past life of discipline and zeal needed to be redirected to a new way of thinking and living. The same is for us. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal to you exactly what that is. Only the Holy Spirit can. Go and chat with the Holy Spirit then. Creator will make it clear to you. That's the translation from the First Nations that I didn't get to read. That's a lot. See, this little known Simon the Zealot? Yeah, we all have a little bit of zealot in us. <laughs> Some are a little more obvious. <laughs> and it's a gift, not a curse. So maybe we can take our eyes off of each other. Put them onto Christ and see each other through the lens of love, 
forgiveness and humility. This is the way of Jesus. Whew. Heavenly Father, will you let your Holy Spirit reveal to each of us what it is that we need to learn or unlearn next? Thank you that you have no judgment on us. And if we take these verses to heart, teach us how to not look back to our past and feel shame and guilt and all that stuff so we can move forward. So the glances backwards are only for looking at the journey of how we've learned, not for us to live in the past. So Lord, be our grace. Be our gentleness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.